Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 58 of the podcast. And today we're going to react to the 49ers Week 12 victory over the Minnesota Vikings. But first, I want to clarify something. That there was no podcast last week previewing this game, and I can explain why. <laughs> I had a podcast recorded, ready to go, finish it up. It was about 45 minutes long. Uh, it was going to happen on Saturday. Uh, although the short release time was still going to happen, but uh, the computer, the equipment I was recording on at work, uh, there was a lot of issues with it, technical problems, so that's why there was no podcast to preview this Vikings game. But if you do follow us on social media, at... 49ers access at 49ers underscore access, you would have known my prediction for this game was 31-26 San Francisco winning. But besides that, besides that, the Niners are currently the sixth seed in the NFC playoff picture. How the turntables, the Saints lost on Thanksgiving. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving. I turned 25 on Sunday, although I feel like a 97-year-old man uh, with a bad back, a bad hip, and it seems like bread bloats me every single time I eat it, so Thanksgiving was a very fun day. A happy birthday gift was delivered to me via the Niners' victory, but happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there who listens to the podcast. I hope you had a wonderful day, and I hope the Niners' winning on Sunday was a little extra Thanksgiving dessert for you, but the Niners are the sixth seed. They're the sixth seed. Again, how quickly this season has turned itself around. I remember uh, the the Cardinals week, like, oh my goodness, four losses in a row. It's like, oh, the season's over, man. Sky's falling, brother. But now we're sitting here and we're six and five, the sixth seed in the playoffs, and just one game behind the Rams, who the Rams have lost a handful of games in a row, and Matthew Stafford now has chronic elbow issues. They seem out of sync. They don't seem like the team that was running roughshod through the NFL earlier this year. Hey, all I'm saying is, so you're telling me there's a chance. There is a good chance. A good chance this Niners team, after a win against the Vikings, can push their way all the way up to the fifth seed. Now, I'm not going to go, well, technically the division is still up for grabs. It's probably not, but... I'm okay with the fifth seed knowing we were like the ninth seed three, four weeks ago. But this game on Sunday against the Vikings, uh, I would like to assume you felt the same way I did. And that was having maybe, a I don't want to say a blind confidence, but having this overwhelming confidence going into the game, but that nagging feeling of Minnesota's pretty good. Kirk Cousins just beat the Packers. Now, albeit INT got overturned late in that game, but the Vikings beat the Packers two weeks ago. And we're sitting there, and, and again, if you felt like I did, and, and I'm assuming you did, you're like, yeah, we should win this game, but I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't. But because the Niners won, they now have an 81.9, pretty much an 82% chance of making the playoffs, folks. The season has turned around. Now, again, this number can go down to zero if they lose the next, you know, five, six games. But as of right now, 
we will live in this moment, <laughs> and as this podcast continues, we will look then towards the future a tad bit, knowing the injuries that came out of that game, that came out of the victory on Sunday versus the Vikings, but we have an 81, 81.9, 82% chance of winning and making it to the playoffs per football outsiders. It was a 22.1% chance increase after the win against the Vikings. You talk about needing to win. And in the podcast that was not released due to the technical difficulties of the recording, I talked about how this game was a statement game. The other games were must-win games, right? To get back into the playoff hunt, you gotta win these games. But this game was a statement game. It was a game where if San Francisco wanted to show the NFL, no, no. What you saw weeks 3 through 6, 3 through 7, that was not our identity. We are not a team who will win two games in a row and lose four in a row, then win two games in a row and go back to losing. No, no. This is who we are. And you have have awakened a monster. You've awakened this beast that was sleeping from hibernation. This Sunday, this past Sunday's win was that statement of, Hey LA, we're coming for you. And when we get to the playoffs, hey Dallas, hey Tampa Bay, hey Arizona, hey Green Bay. Remember that loss? Week three, week four in prime time at Levi's? Hey, yeah. That ain't happening again. This was a statement win for San Francisco. And it was a game for them to prove, not only to themselves, but to show the NFL, hey, we're back. And not this, you know, the John Wick, oh, I'm back. It was, no, no, we are back and we are here to stay. It was a great win on Sunday, but that first quarter, that <laughs> that first quarter definitely had me on edge. And let's start with that first drive. And, and we're not going to go through play-by-play here. It, that That's irrelevant. But I want to talk about that first couple, those first couple drives. Because the Niners... They, their defense, forced a three and out against Minnesota, who hasn't gone three and out in their first drive all season. They were the best team on opening drives in the NFL, and San Francisco said, eh, that means nothing to us. Here's a three and out. (laughs) And so you're feeling, oh, great. Like, oh, okay. Like, we're feeling ourselves confident still. Their defense came to play today, right? Well, then Jimmy G took the field. And, again, in that unreleased podcast, I talked about how my confidence in Jimmy G had no reason to waver coming into this game, but Minnesota's weakness was the running game and not having Dalvin Tomlinson and Everson Griffin being out. And, by the way, I hope he does get the help he needs. looks like he is. Mental health is a serious issue. But not having those guys on the field was going to hinder what Minnesota's run defense can do. And so you're sitting there thinking, we're going to pound and run the ball 45 times again. But that, for whatever reason, really wasn't what the Niners did. And then we got Jimmy G throwing balls into double coverage, overthrowing guys. And I put on Twitter, I said, the duality of Jimmy G is something 
beautiful, but it's also a disaster waiting to happen sometimes. Where there are some games where Garoppolo just, he feels himself a little too much. The confidence is too high, you know? It's kind of like the uh, the old teen movies like American Pie where kind of the jock guy feels himself a little too much and goes up to the girl but then gets rejected and he like a, a, you know a pie gets thrown in his face or whatever those movies would do. Like, that's kind of what it's like where it's like Jimmy's the jock guy going to talk to the beautiful woman, the beautiful girl, but then she throws a or pours a drink over his head because he gets too confident. Says the wrong thing, right? That's kind of what it's like with Jimmy G where it's like he's coming out slinging it and you're like, "Man, I Jimmy doesn't do this, like, and when he does, you're like, well, I'm I'm happy we're seeing this out of you, but how about you pull a Ross Geller and you bring it down a little bit, you know, like, that's not what we're gonna do here, and it's not what we're trying to do here in this offense, which, again, I like Jimmy, I don't mind seeing that, and thankfully, it was early because he threw that boneheaded interception right to him. Shanahan called it inexcusable, albeit saying that I'm trying to use a bigger word <laughs> than I normally would use. But Jimmy knew it, Shanahan knew it, and it's funny because two plays prior, Jimmy overthrows, I believe it was Debo across the middle, and you're like, ooh, bad throw. Then he threads the needle to Jennings in between two defenders, and you're like, okay, Jimmy, okay. Well, then, then the next play, there's a pick, and you're like, no, Jimmy, no. <laughs> Like, what, like, what's going on? And Shanahan yelled at him on the sideline. And, again, it, it, people made it seem like it was such like a Shanahan's turning into him. No, no, no. It was more of like a, you know what you did wrong. We can't have you doing that crap. Tighten it up. And Jimmy was like, you're right. And what'd they do? They got back to themselves. Jimmy said, I'll hand the ball off a little more. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they went out there. They got back to who they were. And they, they played Niner football. And... Again, really, this game was really a tale of kind of the first quarter and everything else or kind of, you know, a quarter and a half and the rest of the game. Uh, because at one point in this game, it was Jimmy Garoppolo was 3 for 8, 61 yards, 1 interception with a 25.5 rating, which he had had a 100 rating the past four weeks, which was on par with Joe Montana. <laughs> And Cousins was 9 for 12, 120 yards, and two TDs, and 145.8 rating. Like, at one point, it was looking like a disaster. Where we're down 14-7, and we're like, oh, okay, like, we're going to kind of get our, you know, we're going to get our mouths shoved in for a little bit. This is going to be kind of the wake-up call, or kind of, you know, the in the NBA, they call it the heat check. Um, and got you know, and, and get a piece of humble pie <laughs> post Thanksgiving, but then Jimmy said, "No, wait a minute." The offense tightened up. The run game. Elijah Mitchell was phenomenal on Sunday. We'll get into him pretty quickly here, but Jimmy tightened things up. Was a little less reckless with the ball, and that final drive before halftime, very similar to the Bears game. Not not as bad offensively, not not out of rhythm as much. Like the offense looked much smoother, but just like the Bears game where they went down, had a couple of big plays, got in the end zone, scored a touchdown, got a field goal in Chicago, and kind of turned the tide or kind of swinged momentum, swung, swung, swinged momentum back in their direction. Um, that happened against Minnesota. Jimmy goes downfield, the offense goes downfield, throws that touchdown to Jennings. Uh, to end the first half, go in the halftime tied 14-14, and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, 
Like, we got this. We're back. You know, we had kind of a blimp in the first quarter. Jimmy was kind of erratic. Wasn't really feeling himself too much. Maybe feeling himself a little too much, actually. But now we're back on track. And Jimmy looked like how he did the last couple weeks, right? How he looked like against the Cardinals and the Bears and the Rams and the Jaguars. Looked like that efficient quarterback we've seen the last four weeks. And... I want to kind of put it in perspective here. Because I've I, I given you a ton of stats, or he looks like Joe Montana. Like, and I, I don't mean that realistically. But there's so many stats falling out there, so many comparisons falling out there. I just want to talk about the difference in the first half of the season, weeks one through seven, to where, where we are now. Jimmy Garoppolo's PFF passer grade on third down, weeks one through seven, 31.4. That was dead last in football. Weeks 8 through 12, so the Bears game to the Vikings game, 77.0. That ranks 6th in football. 6th. It's like a 26-player jump for Jimmy the last 4 to 5 weeks. Again, this Niners team is back, but also this was that statement game to say we're here to stay. Even for Jimmy himself. Put it just just on Jimmy himself. Oh, he had four good weeks, whatever. Oh, a bad first quarter, and I even said, oh, we got bad Jimmy today, huh? And, again, from what I saw at the beginning, it was like, I think we do have bad Jimmy today, but, again, tighten things up, and he's looked like that quarterback we're paying $24 million for, and he has the last four to five weeks. But on top of that, let's talk about this this season. Jimmy Garoppolo, for all the criticism, for all the hard questions he's gotten and, and received, whether it's Trey Lance or getting traded or Kyle Shanahan not liking him or the offseason, whatever it may be, we know the story. His expected points added per dropback. And I want to ask you a question. For a quarterback who... Many of the NFL or their fans or their their coaches, the front office, deem as average, right? Deem as a game manager. The Alex Smith-esque kind of quarterback. I talked about how the last couple of weeks he has been better with a 100 rating, a 100 pass rating, excuse me, higher than Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Kirk Cousins, Mac Jones, guys like that, right? Well, his expected points added per dropback is higher than Justin Herbert's, Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen's, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford's, Teddy Bridgewater's, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers. In fact, Jimmy Garoppolo's expected points added per dropback. And this does play in part to the Niners using him more effectively, them using him in more shotgun, them running the ball more effectively, doing things and playing complementary football. But Jimmy Garoppolo ranks first in the NFL for quarterbacks in expected points added per dropback. Again, higher than Rodgers. Higher than Murray. Mahomes, Brady, Stafford, Allen Herbert. Guys we deem, player archetypes we deem better than what he's doing. I told... You guys, and, and, and I explained last week how I said we need to squeeze all the juice we can out of Jimmy's beautiful buttocks <laughs> after the Jaguars game. And 
right now that juice is sweet and we're gonna keep squeezing <laughs> And and I hate to make it sound kind of gross and nasty, but that's the whole point here, right? Like, we're getting... The, the plan that was in place is this, right? Now, you can argue Jimmy, the last five weeks, has overperformed, actually. And again, going against Seattle, who just lost to Washington on Monday Night Football, who are now 3-8, and eight, who... They only held the ball... Over the last three weeks, 19 minutes. San Francisco, they've averaged almost 36 minutes of time of possession. 39 versus the Rams, 38 versus Jacksonville, 37 versus Minnesota. Like, Jimmy's playing great and you're going against a team that doesn't hold the ball very long. And you're playing football where you're holding the ball for almost 40 minutes a game. Like, come on. If you if you ain't bought in yet, I don't know what to tell you. And I think a lot of us have now, right? We're all like, yeah, yeah, you know. But there are still some fans that are skeptical of, well, if you lose to Seattle, you know, you're back to 6-6. Six and six, And if Minnesota wins, they're back ahead of us. And if the Saints win, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. And I get they got Cincinnati in two weeks in, in Seattle. But this Niners team... Lost by one touchdown against the Seahawks when Lance played half the game. When Jimmy couldn't really use his back leg at the end of the first half. With, what, no Kittle? (laughs) With no Mitchell, excuse me? Like, this team is entirely different. This team should dominate Seattle. Now, it'll be a dogfight. It's a division game in Seattle Russ and Pete Carroll and DK, they, they don't want to go out, you know, quietly. And while we'll preview that game later on this week, if you ain't bought in yet, and this is my point here, buy in now. Jump on the bandwagon now. Not because Jimmy's playing great, not because Kyle Shanahan has his rhythm back, but because this team not only found itself the last five weeks, four weeks, But now the NFL knows they're back. Beat writers, reporters are buying in again. You know, Albert Breer from Monday Morning Quarterback, you know, if there's one team that can make a lot of noise in this second half and be last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's Niners. And look, I'm I'm putting no expectations on this team other than I think you can beat the teams remaining in your schedule. I'm not saying divisional round winners or or wild... I, I'm not putting that on them. But beat writers are starting to say this team can make headway. And when they start buying in after writing all of us off, after saying, well, we don't know what's wrong in, in, in San Francisco, Matt Mayoko said, bench Jimmy, start Trey. And he, he now has said, you know, that was a mistake of his, but buy in. Now's the time. Before it's too late and we've won, you know, eight straight games or whatever the number could be at this point in the year. But Jimmy's playing great. This team is back. And one of the main reasons why he's back has been that run game. I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, hey, it's been all Jimmy. It's just, just been Garoppolo. No, no, no. Elijah Mitchell has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. 
On Sunday, 27 carries, 133 yards, 4.9, pretty much 5 yards per attempt. And actually, Elijah Mitchell, through 8 games this year, yes, only 8 games, he has 4 100-yard rushing games. In fact, that is the second most of any running back under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco during the regular season throughout Shanahan's entire tenure. Carlos Hyde had one. Morris had one. That being Alfred Morris. Tiffin Coleman had one. Mostert had one. Don't count the Packers game in the NFC title game. Doesn't count here. Jeff Olson has two. Elijah Mitchell has four. And Matt Breida has five. Elijah Mitchell, steal of the draft. I'm not talking about, oh, he's better than Mac Jones. I don't care about that conversation. But Elijah Mitchell needs to be in a different conversation, that being Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's outplaying third-round picks. He's outplaying first-round picks. Elijah Mitchell has been better than most first-round picks this year. Better than Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. And I think regarding position-wise, you would probably take Mac Jones over him, but I can argue that Elijah Mitchell has been, at least in this current run the Niners are on, more important to the team's success. Because what he does is he he allows the quarterback, that being Jimmy Garoppolo, to feed off of him getting to play action more. It allows defenses to have to keep this team honest, right? And, and and I've talked about that over the last few weeks, where playing complimentary football, it keeps the defense honest. It allows Jimmy to relax. It takes the weight of the world off his shoulders to go, I have to perform. And I think that was kind of the bigger thing against the Cardinals, where they didn't run the ball. And every time they've won the last four or five weeks, they've hit over 100 yards. Mitchell's had a great game. And that really goes back to Kyle Shanahan finding himself. Jimmy Garoppolo playing with more confidence. And Elijah Mitchell feeding into that, right? Buying Garoppolo time. Being able to get chunk plays, get them in more manageable third down plays, which allows Garoppolo to play his game better, right? Over the middle. Four or five yards at a time. People want to say dink and dunk, I like to use slice and dice the defense. Now you can say, well, they're just synonyms, and I guess they are, but I I think dink and dunk has a negative connotation behind it because Jimmy Garoppolo hits six yards, seven yards. In the last couple weeks, he's averaged nine yards per attempt. He hit 8.8 this past week against Minnesota. He's not dinking and dunking. He's averaging almost a first down per pass. Now I get that's not entirely like, you know, exactly how it is. But what Mitchell and Garoppolo are doing offensively are feeding off each other. Again, playing complementary football. But Mitchell, to show you how how great he's been, he's not one of these backs that, oh, he, he's a one-cut-and-he's-gone guy. No, no, no. He's a back who wants contact. He's a back who says, oh, you want to hit me? I'm going to lay you out and run right through you. In fact, he is second in the NFL, not just amongst rookies, amongst all running backs in yards after contact. We have the Yak Bros, right? Kittle, uh, Debo, and Ayuk. Well, I guess you can say we have a Yak running back. 
He's he has 3.84 yards after contact, only behind Nick Chubb, who has 4.26. Elijah Mitchell, again, not saying he's a top five back in the league, but right now, <laughs> right now he is. He's playing that way day in, day out. Another great game. He's what allowed Jimmy Garoppolo, at least in this game against Minnesota, to after maybe being kind of sporadic, being inconsistent, you know, overshooting guys across the middle, throwing a pick early, Mitchell's success kind of calmed the offense down. Oh, he's getting four yards per carry, five yards per carry. Carry us. Get us a first down. Kind of settle us in, you know? It's like a pitcher in baseball. Sometimes they allow a run or two in the first inning. Then they settle down. Then they go seven shutout afterwards, right? Or five shutout afterwards. Then they go seven innings. They got ten strikeouts. Allowing two in runs because they found their rhythm. That's kind of how this this team was on Sunday. Garoppolo allowed that first run, which was the INT. Calmed himself down because Mitchell kind of led the way. Which is what Jimmy has been doing, really. At least mentally. Kittle talks about it all the time. Jimmy can command the huddle. He, he can calm us down in maybe you know, pressure moments. Well, Mitchell did that by his play on Sunday versus the Vikings. But it wasn't just Mitchell, and it would be wrong of me to just point out two guys. And we had to look at Debo Samuel. And again, going back to the first half of this game, there was a point where Kittle and Debo had no touches. And I think they had three total targets in between them, or you know, between them both, excuse me. Again, things got calmed down. Then they started touching the ball, getting their targets. And despite Kittle only having one reception, valuable in the run blocking game, Debo, what, what do you have, seven total touches? And he had like, what, six targets, eight targets? Like Again, like he wasn't an integral part into the offense, but on his limited touches... Two touchdowns. It's about hitting when the iron is hot, right? That's what we do in San Francisco. You don't need the ball 25 times to have a great game. Debo had it, what, eight times? Seven times? Two touchdowns? Like, he's not someone... He's a home run hitter. He averaged 11 yards on the ground. Hit a 49-yard run. And through the air, a 12-yard pass. On four targets. And Debo so far this year, again, to put things in perspective. Debo. Players who had 1,000 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, and five rushing TDs. In NFL history, Roger Craig in 1985, Marshall Folk in 1999, in Debo Samuel 2001. And to bring it back to this season, Debo Samuel has five rushing touchdowns, which is more than Dalvin Cook, who looks to be out for an extended period of time. Hope he gets healthy. Uh, got carded off in this game against the Niners. Hope he gets healthy again. Christian McCaffrey, who is now done for the season, whom at IR. Hope he gets healthy soon. Aaron Jones of Green Bay, who has battled injuries himself. Alvin Kamar, who's also been hurt. David Montgomery and Saquon Barkley. They, they, all these guys have been hurt. 
and Debo Samuel, guys who are top backs in the NFL, Debo Samuel is outplaying them. And I guess you can also say he's actually out-healthing them. <laughs> Whatever the word would be there, I guess. What I'm trying to say is he's been healthier than these guys. <laughs> he has, uh, again, he's pretty much playing running back. And he's healthier than the top 10 backs in the league, you can argue. And he's also outperforming them. Like, what Debo's doing is insane. Insane. He's also the first receiver in the Super Bowl era to score a rushing touchdown in three consecutive games. Debo Samuel is a monster. (laughs) And he needs to be just like Elijah Mitchell in the Offensive Player of the Year conversation. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo should not be in the MVP conversation. (laughs) Maybe a pro bowler if he continues to play well. But this team now is surrounded by weapons everywhere. Mitchell, outperforming top backs in the league, arguably the second best back in football this season. Debo Samuel, the best offensive weapon receiver running back in the league right now. And Brandon Ayuk, let's talk about Brandon Ayuk because it looks like Debo Samuel is going to miss this week against the Seahawks, which is awful. And I want to talk about the impact and why I am worried and why I'm not worried about him being out. Because with Debo Samuel being out against the Seahawks, the instant reaction is, oh man, we lost our number one offensive player. Uh, What are we going to do? Who's going to fill that role? And the answer, I think, or or the instant reaction would be, well, Brandon Ayuk. And there are some folks who say, well, yeah, but he's not Debo. And that's an understandable point to make, and I get that. But but let's talk about Ayuk's turnaround. And I'm not going to get into the whole, well, he was in the doghouse. But I think Debo Samuel, he talked about this. About the conversation that Ayuk and Lynch and Shanahan had. And what went into kind of getting Ayuk to turn his season around. And he talked about... You have to play like your practice. If if you're not practicing well, you're not going to play well. And again, ever since that conversation happened, there has been that turnaround. But it's not just, you know, well, well, you know, you practice how you play. No, no. Diva went on to say, you know, we are held to a higher standard. We're Shanahan's guys. If we're not practicing like he thinks we should, he's not going to play us as much. We're not going to get targeted. We're going to from the outside looking in, look like we're in the doghouse. And it's not really that, but it kind of also is that. But it really is about, you have to play our brand of football. That's run blocking. Ayuk has immensely improved that effort, which is monitored during practice every single day. Ayuk was kind of taking some snaps off. That does not stand under Kyle Shanahan. But ever since he started, or the effort picked up again, Ayuk this season, 47 targets, one drop. That's amazing. Amazing. In weeks one through seven, the doghouse weeks, you could say. Nine receptions, 96 yards, one touchdown. Weeks one through 11, 20 receptions, 245 yards, two touchdowns. If you're wondering or you're worried as to who can fill that Debo role, 
it's Brandon Ayuk. Far and wide, he is the pick. And you can say, well, well, obviously. Like, come on. Obviously. And this is where the concern comes in because what Debo does is he opens the playbook, right? He allows defenses to have to circle him on the whiteboard and go, you got to watch this guy. Is he playing running back? Is he playing quarterback at this point? Is he a receiver? Like, what is he doing? Where is he at on the field at all times, right? And with Ayuk, it really isn't that exactly. It's like, okay, he's going to get an end around. He's going to get a screen pass. He might catch a 15-yard pass and, you know, get some yak. And I understand that. But I have no worry of Ayuk replacing Debo. It's now, to me, who's going to replace Ayuk? Because it's not going to be Mohamed Sanu. We've seen that story play out plenty of times. It's not going to be Trent Sherfield. I think it's going to be Juwan Jennings. I think he has played himself into at least a depth role here, and at a time where they need depth, correct? A time where you're missing your best offensive player, you're missing your number one weapon in the receiving core, and arguably in the running game outside of Mitchell, who, let's be honest here, Debo scores more than Mitchell does, and he has been more effective at least with limited touches every single week. Replacing Debo might be hard, but I think replacing Ayuk because Ayuk is filling the Debo role is even harder. But I think that's where John Jennings comes in. And I think there is some kind of chemistry building with Jimmy and Jennings. He had two catches, three targets, almost had two touchdowns, but he had a big touchdown to end that first half. The awareness of him to reach over into the pylon, get the touchdown, get this team rolling again, kind of again find their confidence. Everyone's playing a part now is my point here. And on Sunday against Seattle, and I'll talk about it later this week, everyone has to continue to play that part. With Debo out, next man up, right? And that's been an issue this year because so many guys got hurt. And last year too. Like, at, at, at what point is like, oh, next man up, we don't have a next man. <laughs> and unfortunately, the way the roster is constructed... You can argue, well, they really don't have the next man. But I will, you know, put Joan Jennings' name in that bucket. Not to be, you know, the Debo-S guy. Not to be Ayuk himself. But to be able to be a sure-handed receiver that Jimmy can trust. That's the biggest thing here. Sherfield's not going to see snaps now. Sherfield, in my opinion, is now the fourth receiver on the roster. And when Snoo comes back, probably the fifth. Just because Jennings and Sanu and Ayuk and Debo are better than him right now. He's a great gunner on on special teams, but Jennings has played himself into this role. And I do think he can at least, at least, if he can give you two catches for 24 yards and a touchdown every single week, or at least in the absence of Debo Samuel, be better in run blocking, allow Mitchell to get you yards, to control the clock, to get you five yards at a time, to give Jimmy an easier third down, that's who replaces Debo Samuel. If Jeff Olsen Jr. can continue to find himself again and, and, and fight back from the injury, having guys like Jawan and Ayuk run blocking for those guys helps immensely. And that's why Jennings is going to fill that role rather than, you know, Sherfield and Snoo who's actually still hurt still. So, again, you got to buy in here. We just beat Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota, eh? No, it's Canadian, I'm sorry. Probably offensive, and I apologize. But <laughs> but 
But we beat a team who I think five weeks ago, four weeks ago, we're saying we're probably getting our butts kicked off. And I kind of want to transition here from the offense to the defense because the way the defense played this game and the way they've been playing the last you know three or four weeks, right? P- probably the Rams game more more importantly here or probably the game to look at more here. And that's because when you play a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, I wonder because Shanahan coached him because, well, Jimmy and Cousins aren't the same. They're very similar. It's almost like playing the Rams, right? Like Shanahan has McVay's number. This team knows how to scheme against that offense. Likely because it came from the Shanahan book of offense. Shanahan knows McVay at the back of his hand. It's big brother, little brother style of football, right? Well, in this case, it's the same thing. Shanahan can help the Mecca Ryans, and we've heard that Shanahan is calling defensive plays at times. He's seeing things and going, hey, call this, hey, look at this, you know, and pointing out certain things to Ryans on the sideline. I think that took place on Sunday. And it has taken place in most games where they have squared off. Most recently, Sunday, and before that, the divisional round game in 2019. I guess 2020, technically, but still, you get my point. Where they held Dalvin Cook, like, to nothing. And on Sunday against the Vikings, it happened again. Dalvin Cook had 10 carries, 39 yards, and no touchdowns. Kirk Cousins, despite early success, right? Despite in that first half, really taking it to our defense, right? You know, 9 for 12, 120 yards. He finished the game, again, he was 9 for 12, right? He finished the game 11 for 20 in the second half. Overall, 20 to 32, 238 yards. He had one more pick. He was sacked a couple times, and his QBR fell to 32.8, and his rating fell 50-plus points. Shanahan in this defense, and Demeco Ryans too, he deserves credit as well. They dominated this game. As soon as the Niners went up in this game, well, you weren't saying game over. You were sitting there like, yeah, we got this one. Oh, deep breath, a sigh of relief, right? Like, okay, you know, we got this. There's no reason to worry. And I truly believe that's because Shanahan, just like he has McVay's number, does have a Kirk Cousins number. He has the blueprint of how to stop Kirk Cousins on the back wall of his office, right? He's like, well, I scheme plays for Jimmy, and I'm a better OC than what they got in Minnesota. (laughs) I think I know what's going to happen on this play and this play and this play, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at. And kudos to guys like Josh Norman, who, you know, three weeks ago we were saying get rid of the guy, and and, well, I'm not going to walk back that point because I do think that there are things that need to be learned from Lenore and Thomas but Norman is playing much better as of recently despite his issues by the DPIs he gets called for seven forced fumbles this year seven that leads football that leads the league seven that also ranks in the single season of Niner history that ranks second since 1994 Roy Barker had eight in 1996, and Ahmed Brooks had five in 2009. One more forced fumble, and Josh Norman 
has or is tied for the single season lead in Niner history for forced fumbles since 1994. And there's a point I want to make here, and it's because the Niners' defense under Robert Sala wasn't known for turnovers, right? They weren't known for getting the ball back, even in 2019. While the turnover differential was better, that was more due in part of the offense not giving the ball away as much. And, again, that comes into play a better quarterbacking play, guys being healthy, of course, but despite the hate Josh Norman gets, he's doing everything, or maybe not everything, but he's doing the one thing that we've criticized the Sala and Ryan's defense. They don't get turnovers. Josh Norman does. And again, while I do think there are valuable lessons guys like Lenore and Thomas can be learning, if San Francisco wants to win now, right, that's the rule. Win now, bunch of guys on one-year deals, maximize Jimmy, get your picks back, free up space in the offseason, sign some guys, fill the holes, get better in 2022, let Lance take over. Josh Norman gives this team the best chance to win. And I hate saying that. <laughs> I hate it. Because that means I was wrong about cutting the guy. And I'll eat that crow. No problem. Because he's doing something that we have not had in San Francisco for a long time, really. Someone who can generate turnovers. Or at least give his team a chance to get the ball back. And I hate to say this, but I'll take a DPI here and there in a non-clutch situation if it means you're forcing a fumble every single game. Or you're at least giving you know, Warner and Al Shair and other guys a chance to recover the ball and get Jimmy and the offense the ball back to go down and put some more points on the board. And that's the one thing we've missed for the last you know five years since Shanahan took over, right? Now we have that. Now there's ugly come, <laughs> a lot of ugly that comes along with it in the form of Josh Norman. DPIs, yelling at opposing coaches, holding calls, maybe an attitude problem here or there, but but what he's doing is he's allowing this team to get back into games if they're down. And maybe sometimes he's the reason why they're down, because DPIs and stuff. And, and I'll, we all understand that. But I don't want this to go unnoticed, because I ran down his road after the Cardinals game, and I think it was well-deserved, right? But Seven forced fumbles cannot be overlooked because it's adding another element we have not had in a while. And the defense continuing with that side of the ball, it allows guys like Al Shair, who has had a breakout season and will need to fill Fred Warner's role because he'll miss the Seattle game too. We're missing two captains on Sunday versus Seattle. But... Again, just like Ayuk, who has turned his season around and I have faith in, Al Shair's having a breakout year, and I think it's reasonable to have faith in him. And he's very much like Quan Alexander. And maybe that doesn't, you know, make you too happy, or maybe it makes you wince and go, oh, Quan, like he's boom or bust. But when Al Shair booms, it's fumble recoveries. It's second on the team tackle for losses and, and pass deflections. And when he busts, it's in part of a 10-miss tackle day for the Niner defense. But isn't this team so far kind of been boomer busts, right? It's kind of a, a, a living, breathing 
kind of element or, or, or an example of what this team has been. Norman and now Shair, really, of you're either a DPI or a missed tackle or you're a forced turnover and a recovery, you know? That's kind of what it's been like, right? That's the two halves of the season. But again, but there's a lot of beautiful in that. Of, man, if you can just be more consistent, stop the DPI, stop the missed tackles, and play more consistent football, you can be better. We can be a better team. And that's what San Francisco has done the last four to five weeks, and that's what Al Shair has done. He's cleaned the missed tackles up. He's booming more than busting. And you pair that with Nick Bosa, who has 11 sacks this year, two more than his rookie season. He's now fourth in football in sacks with 11. He's also the first 49er with 11-plus sacks since Alden Smith in 2012. Nick Bosa, this season, a year after the ACL injury, completely torn, needed to recover, second ACL recovery in his life since Ohio State, is having his best season ever. And you can argue, well, you hope so, like you like to think so, but again, I do not want to let it go overlooked. And, and it's not in Bosa's case, but there are small things we don't always see, right? And since 1998, guys like Fred Dean, Charles Haley, Dana Stubblefield, Roy Barker, Chris Dolman, Alden Smith, all have totaled 11-plus sacks in 11 games. Nick Bosa is on pace to pass Alden Smith in sacks. Now, we know how crazy Alden Smith was. 16 and a half was a vital part of that Niners' defensive run during the Harbaugh era, right? He took that defense to the next level. Nick Bosa, number two overall pick in 2019, is on pace to be better than that a year after an injury. His second full season in the league. There have been... And I think this was the one thing that held this team back, right? Where you had a bunch of guys singularly having good years. Abosa, Adebo, and Al Shair. But you had your main players, your big players, your Jimmies, your Warners, your Ayukes, your Kittles, your Mostert who got hurt, your Verrett who got hurt, Jimmy Ward missed time. Your big hitters, those guys were not having great seasons. But now those guys have brought their play up, right? Those guys have found themselves. And now they're playing on par with guys like Bosa and now Shair, who are also now having really good seasons. And you can argue Bosa should be in the Jimmy Garoppolo, Mostert, and Ward category, and sure, that's fine. But now you're having rookie years from guys who were not expected to, and then you're having good, great years from guys you expect to. That is what creates winning football. That's what makes teams special. And in again, I hate to use baseball here because I know they're different sports, but those are the teams you circle come playoff time to go, they can make a run. And maybe they're peaking too soon, I don't believe that, but the Niners right now, they're making a run. And I think, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this is a team to be reckoned with come playoff time. And, but I, 
But if there is, if there is one concern, it still is that offensive line. And I talked about this last week after the Jaguar game, where Jalen Moore had an awful game. He got benched for Tom Compton. And by the way, Tom Compton had a great game on Sunday. Credit to him. A great game. I think he had an 82 uh, PFF grade. So good on him. <laughs> He's like the top five on the team offensively. Uh, not a name you would think I would say on this podcast of, hey, he did a good game, or, or, or he did a great job. Tom Compton, great job. In fact, pressures allowed on Sunday. And most of these were in the first couple drives of the game. Didn't happen as much in the second half. But pressures allowed. This goes back to the offensive line being my biggest concern. Trent Williams, who this year has a near-perfect run block rating of 99.1. He's 0.9 percentages away of having a perfect run block rating. He's also the highest rated player in, in the league. PFF thinks Trent Williams is the best player in football. 98.2 rating. On Sunday, he had three pressures allowed. Lincoln Tomlinson, Alex Mack, and Daniel Brunskill all had three pressures allowed on Sunday. Tom Compton had the least pressures allowed on Sunday. Now, I'm not expecting that performance every single week. I do think Trent Williams and Tomlinson and Mack clean things up. And I do think this was an outlier of a performance by those players, but this goes back to my concern from the offensive line. If it is Compton, if it is Brunskill, that will not be sustainable. Luckily, one of the reasons why it has been sustainable, and if they can continue to do this one thing, it will be sustainable. The last three weeks, 39 carries against Minnesota, 208 yards. 42 carries against Jacksonville, 171 yards. 44 carries against the Rams, 156 yards. The last three weeks, San Francisco, they have ran the ball 125 times in the last three games. They've only thrown it 60 times. 67% of runs, 32 percentage of passes. Now, that's gone down week by week. 44, 42, 39. And it's, again, getting back. It's a whole it's a whole kind of circle, right? George Lucas says it's poetry. It's like a circle. It all rhymes. This goes back to the pass play percentage. They're nearing closer to that 50-50 mark every single week. I'm going to preach it until they hit that 50 mark. Or get, like, one percentage off from it. Because I've been hammering it home week by week by week. The way to, you know, get rid of the worry of, well, Jimmy gets sacked four times, five times, you run the football effectively. You limit how many dropbacks he has, not because he cannot be effective. That's not what this is. This is, it plays into the strength of your offensive line more if you can run the ball effectively. 
if Jimmy drops back 26 times a game and you run the ball 35 times, 40 times, that's the sweet spot. That's almost 50-50. Exactly where you want to be. But there are some other things we have to talk about here because, yes, on Sunday, there were some issues, right? And one of them actually wasn't even our own. In fact, it was Kirk Cousins lining up under the right guard. I I cannot believe Kyle Shanahan wanted this guy. Like, Joe Staley said in the pregame that Shanahan sat me down, ran me through the entire this entire game plan of we're going to sign Kirk Cousins, we're going to sign this guy, we're going to cut this guy, we're going to draft this guy, we're going to do all this stuff. Ran Staley through all of it. And all I'm saying is, Niner fans, even the ones who hate the guy, should be grateful we have Jimmy Garoppolo and not Kirk Cousins. Because, yeah, it's a meme at this point, but we could have the quarterback who lines up under the right guard in a clutch situation on the goal line, and he has to blow a timeout because he doesn't know what's going on. Like, like what was the right guard thinking of, why is this guy touching my gooch? <laughs> like, like, uh, sir? Sir, uh, what do you, like, like, why did anyone say anything to him? Like, like, what is the right tackle thinking? Like, um, you're pretty close to me right now. Why isn't the center going, Kirk, Kirk, over here, touch my butt instead. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, like, like, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things in football where you're like, I love this sport, but Jesus, thank God that guy isn't on my team. It's, it's not as bad as the Sanchez butt fumble, but it's it's really up there. It's really up there. Like, that is just, oof, awful. It's so funny, though. It's so funny. Uh, and and on Sunday, the Niners did, dub, despite the Cousins stuff, and all joking aside, the Niners played a great game. And they continued their red zone streak. Unfortunately, they did drop 0.4% in the red zone. Now, they are tied. They're tied now for the best red zone TD rate since 2003. But luckily, they play a team in Seattle who's actually really good in the red zone. You'd be surprised. But they're really good in the red zone. But this Niner team, the way they're playing, getting breakout seasons from, you could argue, guys you wouldn't think so, Aziz and stuff like that, Really, the Niners should take care of business against Seattle. The Seahawks stink. They stink. And I, hey, we're six and five. There is no one. I mean, nobody. Doesn't mean they can't lose, but nobody should be looking at this team going, eh, I don't know. Because, and this is the thing. And I think this is. It's really hard to have perspective in the NFL, especially if, you, if if you're a fan. You see, oh, well, we're 3-8, and eight. we're 6-5, and five. oh, man, we're in an awful place. But look at Cleveland. They're a team that many people thought were going to be a Super Bowl team. They can't keep their players' dads from posting on social media. People hate Baker Mayfield now. Now, whether it's justified or not, I don't know. I don't think it's entirely, but there are concerns there. 
Like, he might not come back next year. That's how bad things have been. Former number one overall pick took a team that has been a dumpster fire for 20-plus years to the playoffs, and now his tenure might be over. We are not Cleveland. We could be the Steelers, who have an aging quarterback or a quarterback who they still believe in for some reason, and he can't throw 45 yards. Who looks like a dad with the beer belly that plays Sunday afternoon football with the guys at the local park or the YMCA who wants to drink seven Bud Lights and smoke a joint and go, you know, take a burp and go, man, that was a great Sunday. Like, that's Big Ben. That's not the Niners, though. Like, we have to be grateful for where we're at. We could have put in Trey Lance and, and could have been the end-all, be-all, and no, season's over, punt the season. And, and I myself felt that way at one point. But to have perspective, we're not Pittsburgh. We're not the Dolphins. We're not the Browns. We aren't the Rams, who are kind of free-falling right now. We aren't Seattle, who I think many of us would have thought we'd be battling for second place or even first place. They're 3-8. and eight. They stink. Russ looks cooked. Sorry about the pun, but Russ looks cooked. <laughs> it. There are so many things that could have gone wrong this year. And in a season of being thankful, in a season, in a time in my life where now I'm 25 and I can look back on you know the past decade of my life post-high school or in high school and post-college and now in my career, there are many things I'm thankful for. In a year like 2020 and 2021 with all the mass hysteria and fear of certain things and political issues and and everything that encompasses our lives in America in 2020 and 2021, and even 2019 to a certain degree, I'm thankful for Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm thankful for Kyle Shanahan and this team for not only giving me a great birthday present, but also not you know folding when the cards got tough. Not just crumbling under pressure. They fought back. They, they made themselves a diamond. And I think the... The 75-year patch on their chest. It's really significant now you look at it. Where diamonds are built by pressure. And being 2-4, and four, being 3-5, and five, there, there's a lot of reasons to give up hope. To throw the towel and wave the white flag. And they didn't. They fought back. They, they showed their grit. They were... They, they were dogs. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. Because right now, we could be 3-8. and eight. They could have put in Trey Lance, traded some guys away, and moved on with the year. But post-Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving weekend, post-pounds and pounds of pies, <laughs> and mac and cheese, and turkey, and turkey sandwich leftovers, I'm thankful for Jimmy Garoppolo, and Kyle Shanahan, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Josh Norman even. <laughs> and I'm thankful that this fan base, despite the differences we have, did not throw the towel in there. Has rallied behind this team. And that's really where I'm at with my Thanksgiving week. That's that's where I'm at in my mindset. I'm thankful for this team. I'm thankful for what they've given me, given us as a fan base. It's hard to look back and where we were and go, oh, that was awful. But it's about where you're headed in life. 
It's not where you're at currently. It's what you're actively trying to do to get to the next place. And we saw what they were trying to do, and it wasn't working. They made changes. They made the mistakes needed to alter and make the corrections. And now look, we're 6-5, and five, one game behind the fifth seed. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And if you haven't bought in yet, buy in. We're riding with Jimmy and Shanahan. And we're so close to that fifth seed. Big game against Seattle coming up. You're going to want to follow us on social media for this one. 49ers.access is the Instagram. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter. Who's playing? Who's not playing? You are going to want to follow us on social media. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. I promise. There's going to be memes, especially if we win, when we win. There's already memes out there right now. But you're going to want to follow us on social media. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. My name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. Again, I'm thankful for you guys on top of being thankful for this team. Uh, I get messages once a week. People saying, oh, great podcast. I I didn't think about that. And I really appreciate that stuff. Let's continue that conversation on Instagram, on Twitter. You can also email me. I don't care. Let's continue that conversation about this team, about the team that we love, that being the San Francisco 49ers. And until Seattle week, until the next time we talk, stay faithful. Stay faithful.